0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best's Directory of
1: Recommended Insurance Attorneys.
0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Dan Rabb from the Daniel W. Rabb PA law firm in Miami, Florida. Dan has been practicing law in Florida for over 20 years and specializes in insurance law and policy and transportation law. He's the author of Transportation Terms and Conditions and a contributing author for Goods and Transit. He is currently an adjunct professor of law at Florida Coastal School in the Transportation and Logistics Program. Dan, we're very pleased to have you with us this morning.
2: Well, it's great to be here.
0: Today's topic is the limitation of liability on motor carriers, and Brennan Noonan is going to lead off with our first question. Uh, Dan, can you briefly discuss this most recent case?
2: Yes, Yeah, you're referring to the case of H. Kramer & Company in Zurich. Insurance Company is the subrogate of H. Kramer & Company versus a trucking company, CD, and Logistics Inc. This is a significant case, and I think there's actually a lot that carriers, shippers, and most importantly insurers can learn from this particular case. It deals with carriers, as you said, trying to limit their liability. And what happened in this particular case was the shipper H. Kramer and company had sent a type of metal ingots that were destined to go from Illinois to Iowa. They were stolen during that time period when they were dropped off at a storage facility. And then obviously it would look as though In a normal scenario, or what most people would think would be a normal scenario, that in fact the trucker would be liable and the shipper and the insurance company could go and sue and try to recover their uh, damages and subrogation and anything left over from subrogation. CDN Logistics did have a provision that in the bill of lading, or at least the bill of lading that was actually prepared by the shipper, H. Kramer, that stated that. Actually, the trucker is not liable for any types of criminal acts, or rather there was a reference in a tariff, and CDN Logistics made a motion to dismiss, stating two things. One, that there was no bill of lading that was issued, and number two, that it could not be held for a criminal act. Now, there have been a lot of cases that have been litigated About limitations of liability in trucking cases. And I chose this one as it's fairly recent from July of 2014. It's kind of a beware, kind of a wake up call to those who ship with truckers on whatever side of the fence you're on. What happened in this case was that this was actually, as I said, a motion to dismiss, which means usually that a complaint is attempted to be thrown out on technical grounds. The court decided that it would not dismiss the case because, in fact, there was an exhibit that was in the defendant's possession that was a bill of lading. So that was easy to get rid of. As far as trying to have it thrown out on the grounds that there was a criminal act, the court stated that this was really a factual issue and it was something that could not necessarily be disposed of on a technical basis. The issue then becomes, and the way that this court viewed it, was it's a factual issue as to whether or not the shipper was actually aware of this limitation of liability. The case was actually governed by the Carmack Amendment, which govern shipments going to and from different points within the United States, and the Carmack Amendment basically holds that if there's a shipment that goes out, the sh- parts of the shipment are stolen or, or damaged, and there damages, then of course you know you can go ahead and sue the carrier. But there's also a section of the Carmack Amendment, and this is really important for carriers, and it's important to shippers. Because this is something that they probably or they should in, insist, if they can, uh, to have something within the bills of lading limiting liability. Because under the Carmack Amendment, a carrier may establish rates for the transportation of property under which the liability of the carrier for such property is limited to a value established by written or electronic declaration of the shipper or by written agreement between the carrier and the shipper if that value would be reasonable under the circumstances surrounding the transportation it's important that there actually be notice of this uh... the problem here and what happens in some cases and some courts frankly might go in a different way uh... than this particular uh... u-s district court in uh... the eastern division of illinois And that's why what I'm about to say is particularly important, that there should be an actual clause right there in black and white on the bill of lading saying we're not liable for criminal acts or our liability is limited to X dollars per pound. It ought to be printed right on the bill of lading. What happened here was there was a reference to tariffs and this gave at least a little bit of an opening to the shipper who ironically enough had prepared the bill of lading to try to contend that the limitation was not applicable like I said some courts would go the other way but why leave this to chance and this is something that I think is really important and I'm frankly amazed at the number of motor carriers who do not prepare their own bills of lading and do not state right on the bill of lading in black and white that there is a limitation of liability that they go and they hand to the shipper in fact i'd go so far as to say that it'd be a great idea to at least put that on the front of the bill of lading so that this way it does not become a matter of judicial discretion or in this case if it's a fact issue it could even wind up going to trial on that particular issue, because to me it's really interesting that the shipper had actually prepared the bill of lading and it said that there was a limitation, but it referred to a tariff, and with commercial motor carriers, their tariffs aren't really published anymore. So to me there's a big, you know, lesson in here really for the defense side with carriers to make sure that they have this in black and white on the front of the bill of lading, that they have a limitation of liability. On the other side, this is an important lesson, and H. Kramer and Company was smart enough to get insurance with Zurich American Insurance Company. And I think that that's important because a lesson that I always tell people, whether I'm defending a case or if I'm representing a shipper is it's a good idea to get your own insurance because in this instance Zurich was the insurance for H Kramer and Company and by purchasing insurance depending on what the policy says but in many instances if you go and you buy the insurance then you don't necessarily have to deal with all these limitations of liability that you're dealing with with motor carriers and this would be true in the ocean marine field as well, where there's a $500 per package limitation which carriers assert. So to me, it's really highly significant. There are a lot of these cases, and even here what's interesting is the court goes through and discusses cases that have gone both ways almost on the same set of facts, and that's why carriers really need to print this in black and white, on the front of the bill of lading, have a spot where there can be a higher declared value, and that way they have a better shot at being able to assert this. Because it's a little bit scary that, you know, they're not allowing a reference to a tariff, and they're allowing a shipper who actually prepared the bill of lading to proceed with the case. Uh, Can you tell us when and why the Carmack Amendment was instituted? Okay, well, this was instituted. There was a gentleman by the name of uh, Senator Carmack, and this happened many decades ago. And actually, you know, your question is great because, ironically enough, this was instituted to provide some uniformity uh, among the various states in order to come up with a scheme for uh, national recognition so the law would not be the same from state to state and what's interesting here is you, you actually have you have courts that are actually coming up with uh, different rules and I guess it's like many things you, you can have a statute that flat out says something but yet you can uh, you can have attorneys who can see both sides of the issue and still, see that things are subject to more than one interpretation. I also think that the Carmack Amendment was set up so at least there was a guideline and at least to a large extent to try to hold the carriers to carrier liability, which they, in drafting this, would be, you know, just to show a prima facie case and to proceed and then set up some uh, uniform defenses for the carrier. But What they did with this was they set something up so that despite the fact that you have a law which says uh, essentially that you can go and you can sue carriers if you can prove that the items were delivered in good condition, delivered missing or in bad condition, that that the uh, carrier still has a way out of this. And this is something that can catch some shippers who aren't sophisticated, kind of can catch them and put them in a bad position. But that's why, as I say, my suggestion for this, if you're a shipper, is to purchase cargo insurance, so you don't necessarily have to deal with all that. But uh, I would say I try to set up a uniform system. But ironically enough, you, you see the court looking at two different courts coming up with different decisions under almost not identical but similar circumstances.
0: Dan, does this decision impact many states?
2: I mean, it's a district court, so it's a little restricted, but what kind of happens that I've noticed with a lot of Carmack cases and even with surface transportation brokers who are intermediaries that I've seen in recent years where, where you have differing decisions, even coming out of the same district courts from different judges. I think it becomes important because it will impact other courts, because wherever you are, if let's say I were litigating on behalf of a shipper in Florida, I still have the right to go and cite to this case. So For shippers, it's something that, even if you're not in Illinois, if, let's say, you're in Michigan or Florida, New York, it's something that you would want to cite to. I guess at some point there should be some clarification from a higher court because, clearly, there are differing interpretations. And what I found interesting with this court is, and unlike in certain other scenarios, Today, with a lot of shipments, some carriers try to post some of their terms and conditions online, and it would be interesting to see what the courts would do with that. It looks like some courts might go one way and some courts might go another. So there is this increasing technology. But my advice at this point is to try to put that on the front of the bill of lading if you're a carrier what your limitation of liability is. Also, I mean, this was kind of interesting in this case that apparently the shipper used a bill of lading. Maybe it was one that they had received from the motor carrier. But sometimes when I talk to motor carriers, I ask, do you prepare your own bills of lading? And a response that I often get is, oh, no, I don't need one. I get one from the shipper. Well, you know, usually if you get one from the shipper, it's not likely to be as good as one that the carrier can prepare for its own defenses. There could be some business considerations with that, where if you don't go along with what the shipper prepares, they might not give you the shipments, or sometimes there are surface transportation brokers. They're like travel agents for inland cargo. Sometimes they try to prepare bills of lading. But yes, I, I think that this does have other far-reaching effect, because, again, if you don't spell it out on a bill of lading, here's a case that says that, well, the case can go further, and then it's really up to the parties as to how far they want to go and litigate the matter, given the costs of litigation.
0: What should defense counsel be alerted about, Dan?
2: Basically, they want to be concerned that such a case like this is coming about where it clearly references a tariff, and this court at least initially does not seem to be imposing, at least at the outset, on the shipper to go further with this, and it's this case is discussing a very literal uh, form of notice. Now, that doesn't mean that ultimately the shipper will prevail in this case, but it does show that it's enough that they, you know, can continue uh, further with it. I would also say that in terms of the defense being asserted, that there can be no case going forward for a criminal act, that seems to be on the severe side of various things that I've seen. But it's really important, and what came here is that the shipper be given a choice before they're being stuck with a clause like that, or even a low limitation of liability. So when you go to defend these cases, you have to try to put all your ducks in the row and try to show that maybe the shipper really did know about it. Or one way to try to attack this, if you're the defense, would be to try to show that the shipper is somewhat sophisticated in the business and really should have known about this. For instance, if Let's say if the facts come out that H. Kramer and company had shipped with CDN Logistics for the last five years and it had other claims and it heard about this defense being drawn to its attention, then that's something that defense counsel would be able to assert. And I think those that represent carriers, like I said, they should advise their clients to put any type of limitation of liability, preferably on the front of the bill of lading and even on the back of the bill of lading. And you want to be careful with this decision. If you just have something on the bill of lading saying, go look at our tariffs in our office. I mean, maybe you can attempt to put the tariff online somewhere, but even under this particular case, it's of concern, at least at the motion to dismiss stage is It says you have to contend that they're aware of it. I I think some courts, if you posted it online, might find that to be adequate. If there's a note on the front of the bill of lading stating, please see the terms and conditions of shipment at, you know, whatever it is, abcmotorcarrier.com. But it's still better to actually print something like this on the front of the bill of lading. Dan, what should insurance companies be aware
0: of if faced with one of these claims?
2: Well, I think that basically they should know that if there's nothing... uh, The first thing that the insurance carrier wants to do is to immediately look at the bill of lading and to see what's actually printed on there. And something that insurance companies can do, and I've seen some insurance companies do this, is to require that the motor carrier prepare its own bill of lading, and the insurance company should take a look at the bill of lading and see if, you know, they're making an attempt to limit liability or not. I I mean, there are two issues there. One's the issue of liability, and it certainly would enter into the risk factor if, in fact, a motor carrier is not preparing its own bills of lading. I, I believe some insurance companies actually... Uh, have a provision that bills of lading need to be issued by the motor carrier in part so that you don't wind up with these issues. As I said before, I've even seen bills of lading that are issued by shippers which contain no limitations of liability. And I guess likewise from the other side, if you're an insurance company that's doing first-party cargo insurance and you're doing this with regard to inland marine motor carrier shipments you want to be aware that this is something that can limit liability as a practical matter i have not seen in very many instances if at all with motor carrier or even ocean carrier claims where a shipper has declared a higher value it's pretty unusual to see that so i think that on the other end that they need to be aware of this and certainly if you are a plaintiff's subrogation attorney, it's one of the first things that you want to find out when you're given one of these claims is to see whether or not there's an applicable uh, limitation of liability, which could potentially turn your claim from a substantial claim down to something that's minimal, or in this case, they were trying to stop it from being a claim at all.
0: Dan, thanks very much for joining us today. Ah, uh, Thank you. That was Dan Rabb from the Daniel W. Rabb PA law firm in Miami, Florida. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan. And now this message.